the title that I've got for this evening's word is, is God uses broken people. We know that. It's simple stuff. But actually we can lose sight of that sometimes, thinking that we are the worst that has ever walked the face of the earth. And a few weeks ago, uh, when I was at uh, Spurgeon's College, uh, we were asked to look at a chapter of a book um, that was written by a professor of Hebrew. And he's a, 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 a comparative literature list. See, I can't even say it. <laughs> so it was pretty light stuff, as you can imagine. And we were kind of going through this. And we were asked to look at this chapter based on uh, David, uh, King David, as we, we know uh, really well through Scripture. And it was looking at 1 Samuel 18 onwards all the way through. And it, if I'm going to use some words here that you're going to be like, what? And the reticence of scripture, in other words, what the text is not saying through uh, emotion, through comment or reflection uh, that the author is writing, but actually just leaves you having to work it out uh, what the author is saying. You have to kind of work it out for yourself. That was our homework for one week. (laughs) So I really sympathise when you have homework now. And I'm like, oh, my brain, it hurts. Um, But what I want to do is actually give you a little bit of a whistle-stop tour of what was kind of going on here with David. So uh, here, here, I'm going to set the scene. Scene one. Let's do this. Saul is scared of David as he's becoming so successful. So he offers him one of his daughters as long as he serves Saul. Saul then offers that daughter to somebody else but suggests David has his other daughter. In fact, that's the daughter that actually loves David, and her name is Michal. Saul looks to put David on the front line to be killed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he tasks David with bringing back 100 foreskins. I've said that word in church. A hundred foreskins. David brings back 200. Now that's called going the extra mile. It's as simple as that. Saul gets even more scared of David because of that act. Saul then tries to kill David, but David's wife, Saul's daughter, Michal, helps him escape. So we see that her loyalties are for the man she loves and not for her father. Drama already. As you read this part of scripture, and this is what we were doing, you start to see a lot of political posturing. We're seeing a lot of that at the moment, aren't we? There's a lot of political posturing. There's deceit, there's manipulation, especially from Saul. But also, as you start to read it a little bit deeper, David's being very clever in all of this as well. Scene two. Nothing is mentioned of, of, of David's wife, Michal, uh, for the next six chapters of Samuel. Uh, we don't know what she's doing, and you're kind of left wondering what she is doing. This is the kind of uh, biblical reticence you're not allowed, you don't know. And it's kind of like, I want to know, I want to know more and more. 
We then read in chapter 25 that David has an encounter with a lady named Abigail. And to cut a long story short, and it's quite long, he then marries her after her husband hears bad news from Abigail, possibly on purpose, and he dies of what seems like heart failure. David then marries another lady named Ahinoam, and Saul gives David's original wife to a guy named Paltiel. You still with me? It's like an episode of Middle East Enders. <laughs> Tom laughed for a good minute on that joke, and I said, I'm going to see how it goes. I'm really sorry that that is a terrible joke, but I liked it. Episode of Middle East Enders. Write that one down. Scene three. These two wives, along with others, are then taken captive. And whilst it seems sincere that David is rescuing his two wives, it's also clear that he is doing it to win back the favour of the people. Again, a little bit of political posturing. David and Saul are now in a civil war, and Saul dies along with Jonathan in battle. And following that, a few others are murdered, including one of Saul's sons. During this time, just after Saul's death, David strikes a deal with Abner of Saul's house that he can only come and see him and have an audience with him if he brings his original wife with him, who he married for the price of a hundred foreskins, suggesting that David only married her as part of a political deal. But she loved him says that she loved him. She's taken away from her current husband, husband, Paltiel. And scripture tells us that he runs after her, weeping all the way. To be told by the officials to go back home. I'm broken for Paltiel, who loved Michal. I don't think Michal's going to be happy about this, though. David then becomes king over Israel, conquers Jerusalem, defeats the Philistines and brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, with Uzzah dying when he touches the Ark as he's falling on the road. David then dances half-naked before the Ark as it enters Jerusalem. And I'm going to turn to Scripture to read the last little bit of the story. And that's 2 Samuel 6. If you've got a Bible and want to follow it, 2 Samuel 6, starting at verse 16, going on to verse 23. I've literally done a whistle-stop tour of 1 Samuel 18 all the way through to 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6, here we are. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal daughter of Saul, watched him from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Remember, she loved him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. Both men and women and all the people went to their homes. 
When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Wow. What are your feelings towards David right now? How do you feel about David, King David, right now? This has happened all before David then goes on to take another man's wife, Bathsheba, and then stick in her husband in the front line to get killed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He's learnt from Saul how to kill someone. What an absolute rogue. (laughs) That's the only word I could describe it without getting really bad. What an absolute rogue. How on earth could God use this man? As I was reading that scripture, I'm like, how on earth, why on earth did you use him, God? Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? Now, many people would argue uh, that God condoned David's behaviour. But as we read later on in this, it may not be the case. And we see that David has a completely dysfunctional family. Only Solomon was kind of the one that comes out of it with any uh, shining colours. Now, we have to be careful to separate the fact that God does choose broken people. But that doesn't mean that he agrees with what they are doing. I wrote down separate little notes with question marks. Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, people that we would say, well, God can never use them. But here we read of how Saul acted and how David acted and if we're right in reading scripture that God appoints those leaders and we're called to just pray for them. <laughs> That's what we're called to do, is pray for them. David was chosen by God, it's clear, from where the stone hit Goliath's forehead when he went down, that David was still a man who fell short of God's glory. And it's crazy to think, and me and Ian had kind of already said this, it's crazy to think that in 1 Samuel 13, 14, Samuel tells Saul that his kingdom will not endure and that God has sought out a man, David, that is a man after God's own heart. A man we've literally just heard about, this complete rogue. He's still a man that's after God's heart. It doesn't compute. So how do we approach this type of scripture? This is what we were asked to do. We were asked to kind of, how do we approach this type of scripture when we read it? We can glance over it and think, oh, well, that's just the way it was in those days. That's how it all kind of happened. 
When we read many of the Psalms, we see that David reflects some seriously deep love for God. Some times of absolute depression. And sometimes some amazing wonder of who God is in all of his glory. To the point where we sing many songs that are based on David's Psalms. We read so much about different people in scripture and we start to morally question so much of what they did in the flesh but they neglect the fact that God was using a broken person. Noah was a drunkard. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah was a grumpy prophet who didn't want to do what God asked him to do. Simon the zealot was actually a terrorist. Peter denied the saviour three times and Paul was a Christian killer. So as you reflect back on some of those in scripture, it's actually really good to say, well, I haven't done any of that. (laughs) Thank the Lord for that. That's good to know. But we've done plenty of things that have grieved God's heart. We've sinned in ways that may not be as extreme as some of these that we read about in scripture, but we still fall short of God's glory. So if he can use them, he can use us. I have no similarity, praise God, to David's story at all, apart from that I have one wife and I've had three sons. That's where it kind of ends. (laughs) That's it. Apart from maybe I am someone that's trying to be a man after God's own heart. I'm made whole through the redemptive grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. I know that. And it's because I know that I kick on for the kingdom. My identity is in Christ. I am his. Maybe some of you are thinking, I I want God to use me, but I know what I'm like. I know what I do. I know what I've done. I don't deserve to be used by God, very similar to how that guy started that spoken word video that we watched, that I am nothing. In my own head, I think I am nothing. Maybe you want God to use you, but you haven't got the confidence because you feel that you'll let God down. Maybe it's happened in the past. You think, I'm not going to do that again. And let me say, take courage. If God can use someone like David... He can use you because God is turning you into his masterpiece on the wall, pride of place. God is turning you into his masterpiece. I can't answer for David. All I know is God used him, broken as he was, rogue-ish as he was, he used him. And if he can use someone like that, then he can use every single one of us to grow his kingdom. We don't have to be kings because we're already princes and princesses of the king. Let me pray. Father, it's when we do read some scriptures in the Old Testament that we question so much, but Father, we take heart because we know that David was a man after God's heart. And whilst we can't answer for David, and only you know because you had the one, the relationship with him, but you used him mightily. 
And Father, I pray for each one of us here this evening that you would use us mightily. As sinful as we are, as broken as we are, as in such need of love and care and appreciation and pats on the back and all that kind of stuff that we crave as human beings. Father, may we look to you, that grace-filled love, that reckless love, when we think we can't do it. You are just pulling up us back up on our feet and saying, we're going to do this together because I love you. You're broken, but I'm fixing you. And I'm making you new. So, Father, I pray uh, from this evening that we would, we would go from here thinking that, that we would go from here thinking that I am cherished, I am saved, I am broken, but I'm being mended. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have another couple of songs uh, just to finish off with. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if anything tonight has really kind of have hit you and you need some prayer this evening with people, there's plenty of us around that would love to do that. Um, I know the young people would love to pray for you as well. That's right, Mel. All right, so if there is anything, you know, just, just in, as we sing, just take those words and think of that brokenness that we, we, we live in but realise that actually, by grace, God absolutely adores us, loves us, and is in, in the act of, of fixing us and making us into new creations. Thanks, guys. <laughs>